probably everyone here has been to a wedding. And so I want you to, to maybe imagine with me this morning that we were having a wedding this morning. Uh, Gary has ruined my illustration because he went off and got sick. But imagine that Gary was here this morning and he was performing a wedding. And we have this couple up here and, you know, they're getting to the part, which means that cake is coming soon. Which where they make their vows. And he looks at them and he asks them to look into each other's eyes and says, do you so and so promise And at this moment, let's say that I stand up from my front row seat and I read this verse. Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or make any other oath. You sinners, cut it out. What are you doing making an oath here before us this morning? I was thinking this could be a great ministry. You could join me. Wedding season's coming up and we could just crash weddings. And we'll call it the James 512 crew. Tattoos and everything. Or what if this morning, not this morning, Monday morning, let's say that you had the tragedy of watching a a neighbor um, be assaulted. And you saw the person who did it. You were the only witness to the crime. And you agreed that you would testify, even though it probably would scare me to go in and testify, but you agreed that you would go in and testify and so you get in the courtroom, they call you up, they ask you to raise your hand, begin to make this oath, I swear to tell the whole truth, and all of a sudden, again, I'm making myself like this like pop up out of nowhere. Lewis pops up out of nowhere again and says, you sinner, don't do it. Don't do it. Come down from that stand. James 5.12 tells us that you cannot swear with an oath. We could give thousands of examples where people in our society swear by oaths. You know, you think back through history, and it used to be, you all could, you all could finish this statement, that your word is your bond. At some point, many of, some of you may remember the time when a simple handshake meant that you were going to keep your word. And as things have gone forward, it seems like that we have to sign a legal document for just about everything these days. In fact, I don't know if I don't know if this phrase is still around kids or not. But even kids swear oaths. The one that was popular when I was growing up is cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. Not only is that an oath, but it's an oath with a curse, if you think about it. And that was our way of kids of being like, hey, wait a minute, I'm really telling the truth this time. Across my heart, hope to die. Poke a needle in my eye. That's some serious stuff. Here in the South, if we're really wanting to communicate that we're telling the truth, what do we swear on? Our mama's grave. Because you don't swear on your mama's grave unless you're serious. I think we have the tendency sometimes to look at this verse and to make it trivial. Listen, this morning, again, to the beginning and end of this verse. It begins with these words, but above all. And at the end, 
so that you may not fall under judgment. This isn't flippant. The end result of this verse is not to say, hey, if you promise to be somewhere at 4, don't get there at 4.15. There's something deeper, there's something more involved in this verse that has to do with truthfulness, integrity, with taking oaths. Now, if you're here this morning and you've studied the Bible, and you just heard me talk about taking oaths and becoming a wedding crasher, you may say, wait a minute, Lewis. The Old Testament is full of oaths. And you'd be right. God is constantly making oaths in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 50 is just one example of many where God is swearing with an oath. He is making an oath with His covenant people. Publicly, He's declaring this. Is God sinning in this moment? Abraham and the other Patriarchs swear oaths all over the Bible. Genesis chapter 21, verse 23. A foreign king is talking to Abraham and says, Will you swear before God that you will do this? And Abraham says, Yes, I will swear before God. Jesus seems in the New Testament makes some oaths, makes some public declarations. And in one way of looking at it, Jesus is the fulfillment of the oath that God made in the Old Testament. Paul might be the most puzzling of all. Because Paul over and over again says stuff like this in the book of Romans. He makes this oath and he says, as surely as God lives or, or God knows that I have prayed for you. Invoking God's name to say, I'm being honest here, I'm being truthful. Or in the book of Galatians, in the first chapter, he says, I assure you before God, I am not lying. So what's going on? Turn back over with me to Matthew chapter 5, just for a moment. This is our Lord and Savior Sermon on the Mount. And James, as he's writing, as, as you've journeyed with us through the book of James, if you've, as you've been here, you've, you've known, you've heard me say that it's almost as if James has this sermon memorized because it's so close. And this morning, verse 12, in, in this section, they, they are so close together. Jesus may be doing something just a little bit different here, but, but, but I want to I dig into this just very shallow Shallowly, and I want you to see something. Again, you've heard that it said the ancients of old were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Here alluding to that if you give a vow to the Lord, that it's okay. But then he says, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool of his feet, Or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And one of the things that's interesting here is that Jesus didn't say, make no oath before God. You see, what Jesus was addressing in this this moment is that there was this tendency in Judaism, there was this tendency by the priest that depending upon what you swore by, 
gave the seriousness to which you might keep your obligation. So if you said, you know, hey, listen, I swear by earth that I'm going to do this, then there was a pretty high percentage chance that you really weren't serious about fulfilling that oath. But if you swore before God, that was something quite different. And so what Jesus is saying here is not, you can't make oaths, but that as a Christian, as a Christian, we should live a life of integrity. We should live a life where we are truth tellers, that that should be the characteristic of who we are. Think of it this way. Probably all of us have done this, and if you have kids, this has happened. You Parents that have kids in the home now, you'll pick up on it immediately. Son, did you eat the last piece of pie on the counter? Nope. Son, I see the crumbs around your mouth. Nope. We have it on video. Oh, Dad, I had my fingers crossed. This is not the type of people that God is calling us to be. The point is simple when we look at James. The point is simple, really, when we look at Jesus' words. The simple point is this. As Christians, our yes should be yes. Our no should be no. We shouldn't be the kind of people who have to depend upon oaths or whether or not we're crossing a finger or a toe or whatever to prove our integrity. We should be people of integrity. We should do what we say and we should say yes when it's yes and no is no. I mean, think about the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy and Titus. That they are to be men who are above reproach. Meaning men whose word stand in the community. Or or another qualification, not out for sordid gain or, or for gain that is accomplished by something that is, you know, through ill repute. Men of integrity. This is what God is calling us to. Years ago, I was just flabbergasted by, I shouldn't be surprised anymore by these type of things, by a TV evangelist that was talking about that he wanted to declare that it was okay if you broke your oath to your spouse if they had dementia or Alzheimer's. Hear me. Making public oaths before the Lord in a wedding or in a court or in certain situations is fine. That's not what these verses are are coming against. It's not what Jesus, it's not what his half-brother are arguing against. Again, what they are arguing for is that we are to be Person. We are to be a people of integrity. Now, if you're following with us through the book of James, one of the things that happens is that I think as you're reading James, you, you come to this verse and doesn't it seem kind of odd? Last week, as we were here, we were talking about patience, if you remember. We were talking about patience in the day of the Lord. And in verse 11, we ended that section. And I just want you to hear the flow. We count those blessed who endured. For you've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing. But the Lord is full of compassion 
and is merciful. Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no is to be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And then James goes right into changing subjects. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. And this is like baffled scholars over the years and have made many scholars say, you know, see, James, he's just like throwing out a hodgepodge of just ideas and it's really hard to understand what James is doing. Martin Luther pointed to this verse as one of the reasons that he didn't like this book very much. But I think it's interesting as we dig in and look at this a little closer. I think it's interesting to see what I think that James is doing and and. And it really gives us some shape and some contour about how we're supposed to view this verse and how we're supposed to view this verse in terms of our life and in our living. Notice again. Above all. And you may ask, really? Above all. Above everything that you've had to say, James, above all. You're going to talk about oaths and letting your yes be yes and your no be no. But Let's dig in a little more. I do think one of the things that's going on is that James is transitioning towards the end of the letter. And if you've been with us, one of the things that you've known is that there are themes in this book that have popped up over and over again. And as we looked at the first chapter, there were several themes that, that we told you, Gary and I told you, that as we're preaching that we'll come back to these things. One of those was money. A couple weeks ago, we talked about money. Money came back up again. Last week, when we were talking about patience in the midst of tribulations and trials, that was a theme that we had heard before. And here, as James is ending the book, as he is working towards the end of this letter, a theme reemerges. How are you going to use your tongue? How are you going to use your speech? And I think once we keep this in mind, we see something that comes into focus that's, I think that James means for us to understand. If we were to go back to the first chapter and look at chapter 1, verse 26 with me. Let these words fall on us. If anyone thinks himself to be religious... If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, look at what it says. He deceives his own heart. That if we're not bridling our tongue, that if, that if what's coming out of our mouths is something other than what the Lord would call us to, James is saying, you're not religious, you're deceiving your own heart. Your religion is Worthless. The verse right before, James tells us that we are to be doers of the word. And so the easy connection point here is that you are not a doer of the word if your tongue is doing something, is performing in such a way that is ungodly. In chapter 3, verse 5, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Notice this. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire that James, again, is telling us the power of the tongue. It can do destruction. It can do damage. And then again in verse 11 and 12 of this same chapter, of this same flow of thought, notice the connection here. 
He's talking about the tongue. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? My grandfather used to say, what's in the well comes out the bucket. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. What's in the well, what's inside of us comes out of the bucket, comes out of our mouth. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells us this same thing. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Chapter 4, verse 1. We didn't really connect this with the tongue, but I think it is connected with the tongue. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Why is there conflict? Why is there quarrels? What's coming out of your mouth that you're creating conflicts and quarrels because of what's coming out of your mouth? What's the source of that? It's what's inside of us. So when we get to James chapter 5 and we hear this whole idea about integrity. One of the things that James is telling us, the thing that James is telling us. Is that this is a heart issue. That if we are living as a person who needs oaths or needs little clever things to convince other people that our word is true. There is something wrong deep inside of us. We are not the transformed person that we claim to be. Because if out of our mouth, the yes is not yes and the no is not no, then what's going on is that we are trying to manipulate. We're trying to deceive. We're trying to cover up. We're trying to look better than what we are. And this is not what a godly person does. Above all, pay attention. Judgment. Something's wrong. Look inside. I'm glad they didn't take my chair too far away. I will try not to step on the instruments. But the question that comes up for us If we are placing ourselves under the authority of God's word and we're letting God's word stand above us. The question that we have to ask ourselves, the question that I have to ask myself, the question that I would ask you. What is it that goes on in your life or what is the situation. In which you. Are tempted to not be a person of integrity. Or we could say it another way. When is it that you feel tempted to lie? To mislead? The tragedy this morning would be if we just left here and and thought that this verse was for other people. Or to thought this verse was just a trivial little verse or a nice little platitude. 
And we didn't pay attention to what I think the whole of the book of James and the thrust of this passage is trying to tell us. And that is, is that we, we have to look inside and figure out what's going on. In some ways, it's clear. The scripture's perfectly clear. Our Savior in John chapter 8 is recorded of saying, talking to the Pharisees. He's telling them that their father is the devil. And he knows that because the things that are coming out of their mouths are untruths. And this is who the devil is. This is who our enemy is. And he was a liar from the beginning. And then it's interesting, if we look at Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you, notice this, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too all formerly lived, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. James 3.14 But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So the problem, Christian, when we find ourselves in this chair and being confronted by our desire to not be a person of integrity or to twist the truth or to manipulate, the problem is the remaining sin in your life. It's the remaining sin in your life. And I think that the, the root of that is our desires are still messed up. If we're not focusing on the Lord, if we're not focusing on His Spirit, if we're not focusing on His Word, then we get tempted to get drawn into things to where maybe it's that you want to look good to everybody else. And so you, you kind of manipulate. Maybe you're getting your self-worth from your achievements. And that becomes your goal, that you become the center of your universe and your well-being becomes the center of your universe. And so you manipulate. You lie. You scheme to get what you want. You don't have to look very far in culture, our culture, to see that integrity is not a virtue anymore. Have you ever thought about this? There's this whole industry that's fact-checking. And it's the, the reason there's a whole industry is because if we just listen to our politicians talk, we don't have the time or ability to go back and check everything that they said and to see how they're misleading us and lying to us. We even have this thing where we give Pinocchios. And I think most of us would even say, hey, it was pretty good. Our politician only had three Pinocchios. Or we excuse behaviors that we shouldn't excuse. So much there, isn't there? Even think of, I don't know if you all followed this. I didn't follow it very much. I just, one day I came home and the Murdoch trials were on. And he was on the stand. And it was interesting to me. I'm assuming 
we have some lawyers here and they could tell me, but it was interesting how he answered questions. He added this little tagline on at the end, which my assumption was he's saying it that way. So if any other video surfaces, he can say, oh, no, I wasn't lying. See this little tagline. It allows me to mislead. To not be a person of integrity, to not be a person who you look at speech and yes is yes and no is no. How many times do our public officials say, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I know those videos look like I was lying, but we have to define what I meant by yes there. Or no. God is calling us to be doers of the word. God is calling us to be a people whose core desires to be people of integrity. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. That God has saved us, brothers and sisters, if you've trusted in Christ. And not only has he saved us, but he's given us his spirit. He is creating in us. We are supposed to be becoming more like his son. We are to be his workmanship. We are to reflect God's character. And God's character is not reflected in us if we are people without integrity. One of the other things that's fascinating about the book of James, if you've, again, if you've been with us, the Sermon on the Mount and the other text that just looms large in the book of James is Leviticus 19. If you've been with us, it's amazing how many times that James seems to be quoting Leviticus 19. And would it surprise you this morning to know that Leviticus 19 talks about not swearing falsely and by so doing profaning the name of God? In other words, we could say it this way, that if we truly love God, and if our goal truly is to be His people and to glorify God, then we will be a people of integrity, because if we're not, as a Christian, you are profaning His name. You're not loving God. And also in Leviticus 19, and this one's an easier connection to make, you're not being loving to your neighbor if you're not a person of integrity. That's the easy one, right? You're not dependable. You're not trustworthy. You're not dealing with them honestly. If we want to be a people of integrity. We're going to believe God's word. We're going to believe God's word. We're going to believe that our sins have been forgiven. We're going to mean that. Even in the midst of our failures, that God gives us grace. And that we're going to live out of his strength, out of his power and out of his forgiveness. If we want to be a people of integrity, then one of the things that we're going to see in God's word is the goal of our life is the glory of God and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And how much pressure does this take off of us to protect ourselves if God is our goal, if His glory is our passion and the exaltation of His Son is what we live for, 
And all that self-protection, make myself better stuff that boils up inside all of us, dissipates. We are a people who want to be a people who live in integrity. We're going to love our neighbor. This is our marching orders. There was a guy that uh, I knew in college. He, he was a really awesome guy. I admired him for so many things. And it was interesting. One time he told me about his first wedding. He had been married previously. And um, he said that, and I've, I've probably told some of you this before, use this as an illustration, that he was up, he was ready to be married, and the doors open in the back, and this moment where it should be, you know, look at my beautiful bride that's coming down the aisle, I can't wait to marry her, he told me that the first thought in his head was, there's always divorce. And yet, he stood in front of that crowd, do you promise to love and to cherish, to have and to hold all the, you know. And he said, I do. He was without integrity. And you may say, well, Lewis, what would he have done? Well, you know, he probably should have ended it before. But even in the midst of that, think about how much he would have been loving this young lady and loving so many other people, her family, if at that moment he would have said, I can't do this. If he would have done the hard thing, the right thing. I'm going to lean in a little closer here this morning. When we're talking about being people of integrity, fulfilling the promises that we've made, letting our yes be yes and no be no, for those of you who are married this morning, are you fulfilling your wedding vows? To have and to hold rich, poor, sickness, health? Are you walking in integrity towards your spouse? What about your kids? I don't take lightly when we walk these kids down the aisle and sing to them. Moms, dads, are you walking in integrity towards your relationship with your kids? Brothers and sisters of the church. If you remember here, you stood up before this body and you said, I promise, time, talent, treasure. Are you fulfilling that obligation? Are you fulfilling that promise at work? Are you dependable? Are you someone that works into the Lord so that when people see you, they see Something that they just can't explain because you are a person of integrity. Neighbor. When people see your life, do they see the promises of God being fulfilled? Or do they see someone whose world revolves around themselves? Just trying to avoid pain? Or just trying to make themselves look great. And that's the place they're functioning and operating. You want to be a doer of the word. One who loves God and loves his neighbor.
You want to be a person of integrity. I hope that you do. I hope that you do. I hope that what God is doing inside you is what I hope He is doing inside me and calling me forward, exposing sin that I have and asking me to step forward and to live a life focused on His glory and the exaltation of His Son and loving my neighbor well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have inspired this word. And I've been struck this week that sometimes in the inspiration of your word, the conclusion is not always happy, happy. That under your wisdom, sometimes you leave us in a place where we need to consider, we need to think, we need to examine. God, I pray that your spirit would do that in us this morning. Help us to be a people who love you above all else. For your namesake, for your glory, and for the exaltation of your son, in whose name we pray, amen.